Our attitude worth catching today? Next, we talked and we asked some questions. And did we make some changes in our lives to make sure that we are tapped into the power and into the love and in the mindset of God? So has our attitude been worth catching? Have we tapped into the power and the love and the mindset of God? Have we done that as individuals, as a church? And if not, why not? Why haven't we done it? I want to introduce to you to a family, a mythical family, but you might know them anyway. We're going to call them the Kinneys. We'll first meet the Kinneys, and they're attending a church over at First Church, not too far from here. But they left there because the services weren't too formal. Everybody was there on the platform, and everybody sitting around them wore suits and ties, and the ladies wore high heels. They attended there for a while, but... Then they moved over to Faith Church because Faith Church had the great choir of the town. But before long, we hear that the Kinneys are now happy at Hope Center. But before long, they move over to the local community church because of the great Bible teaching in the King James Version only. After that, the youth program at New Life catches their eye, and so they go over to New Life for a while. Now, at least for the moment, for the day, they're at a church on the other side of town. They are there at least until something else catches their eye somewhere else. Might I ask us this question, whatever happened to commitment Charles Stanley once asked the question, why do you suppose that there are over 160 million church members in the United States, yet they are not making more of a moral and spiritual impact? Why is it that on Sunday morning, thousands of churches have more empty chairs, more empty pews than full ones? Why is it that the average Sunday school in the United States has less than 65 in attendance, that the average worship attendance is only 84? Why is it in California that only 28% of people who confess to be a true believer in Jesus can be found attending on any given Sunday? May I give us the answer to these questions? For the answer is very, very simple. Far too long, God's people have made a decision about Jesus, but they never made a commitment to Him. February 15th, 1921. The city, New York City. The place... An operating room at the Kane Summit Hospital. 
A doctor is performing an appendectomy of a patient that had complained of severe abdominal pain. The diagnosis is clear. An inflamed appendix. Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane is performing the surgery. In his distinguished 37-year medical career, he has performed nearly 4,000 appendectomies. So this surgery will be uneventful in all ways except two ways. The first is a novelty of this operation is only going to be using a local anesthesia in the major surgery here. Dr. Kane is against use, the use of general anesthesia. He believes that local anesthesia is a lot safer, and some of his colleagues there that day agreed with him, with the principal. But in order for them to agree in this practice, they will have to see it done in an operation. So Dr. Kane searches and searches and searches for a patient. A patient who is willing to undergo surgery while under just local anesthesia. A patient is not easily found. For many people are squeamish at the thought of being awake during their own surgery. Others are fearful, fearful that the local anesthesia might wear off too soon in the middle of surgery. Eventually, Dr. Kane finds a patient. So on Tuesday morning, February 15th, 1921, this historic operation begins. The patient is prepped, wheeled into the operating room. A local is given. And as he has done a thousands of times, Dr. Kane cuts through the tissues and soon locates the patient's appendix. He skillfully removes it and finishes the surgery. Everything goes well. But during the procedure, the patient complains only of minor discomfort. The patient is taken into post-op, then placed into the hospital room. The patient recovers quickly and is released two days later. Dr. Kane has proven his theory. Thanks to the willingness of a brave patient, Dr. Kane has demonstrated that the local was a viable and even preferable alternative. If you remember, I said at the beginning of this story that there were two facts that made the surgery unique. I told you that the first use was the local anesthesia. The second is the patient. The candidate for the surgery by Dr. Kane was no other than Dr. Kane himself. To prove his point, Dr. Kane operated on himself. The doctor became the patient in order to convince patients to trust in his doctors. Proverbs 16 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Solomon, in writing this proverb, is not saying that everything that we do in this life is going to go to amazing successes. But what he is saying here in Proverbs 16 is that without the firm commitment to the Lord God, everything, everything we do in this life is doomed to failure. 
if we're not committed to the Lord. Commitment is a dying reality in our world today. There are many signs of a dying commitment all around us, for we see marriages are breaking left and right. We know people who have gone through or who are going through divorces. Commitment to attend events, be it a wedding or a funeral or baby showers or whatever the event might be, continues to be lower and lower in attendance. People are becoming less and less willing to join organizations because of the commitment that is there. The commitment and willingness to fight for our country has even dropped even after the events of 2001 on 9-11. The Church of the Nazarene was founded on a radical commitment back in the early 1900s to the belief that God's power can and will change the world. And the first missionaries that the Church of Nazarene sent went out to Camp Verde Islands in 1901, before we even became a full denomination in 1908. But in 1953, missionary Jim Elliott said these words, Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. For you and I have been called to be a different kind of people in this world. You and I today have been called to live a life committed to following Jesus. We have been called to become a radical people for Jesus today. Let's ask a couple of questions this morning. What does it mean? What does it really mean to be committed to Jesus? And is our commitment worthy of being called radical? If you have your Bibles, open them to one of the most powerful scriptures on the issue of commitment. Open them to chat Matthew, if you would. It will also be on the screen as well, but if you want to look through the Word, you can do it that way or on your phone or tablet. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. Matthew chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Forever who wants, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with the angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. In these verses, I see a lot of things that we can talk about for many, many months. But I also see three important things for us today. First, we see Jesus demonstrating a radical commitment. Verse 21 to 23, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have what have in mind the concerns of God, but only human concerns. Here, Jesus, in these verses, sets the example for us to follow in our commitments that we have. For Jesus was committed to go where he was not wanted. Jesus was committed to suffer for a people who had rejected him. Jesus was committed to die for a lost world. Jesus was committed to the ultimate victory. The Greek language has an extremely strong meaning for the phrase that is there in verse 22 when it says he took him aside. The Greek meaning here is that Peter Peter literally grabbed Jesus and pulled him away from all the others to talk to him. And we see Peter rebukes Jesus and tells him that there's no way that he was going to die. And Peter was literally telling Jesus that he didn't have to die. You know, we so often pass judgment on Peter rather quickly, for many times we ourselves are guilty of the same kinds of things. For don't we try to live our lives many times by our plans? Our ways, and not God's ways, or God's plans. And no, we can't blame it on, well, that's just the way we're made. Many times we try and do that. Secondly, we see here that the command for radical commitment is from Jesus. We see this in verse 24. Then Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. There is no such thing as low-cost grace today. There is no such thing as a low-cost life as a believer in Jesus. For Jesus is calling for you and I for all or nothing in this life. He wants all of your life. He wants all of my life. For following Jesus costs us. Following Jesus costs us a life that's worth dying in exchange for a life that will never end in heaven. Following Jesus costs us a life of bondage in exchange for a life of freedom. Following Jesus costs us a life that is cursed in exchange for a life that is blessed. All in all, this doesn't sound so bad, does it? 
But there are two primary problems that we have. Selfishness and stubbornness. And today on this third Sunday of January, Jesus is calling for us to tear down the altar of selfishness that we have built and to embrace his radical life of selflessness. There's a huge difference of being involved and being committed. A pig and a chicken are walking down the road. I know you have probably heard this before. But the chicken says, hey pig, I was thinking that we should open a restaurant together. Pig replies, hmm, what would we call it? The chicken responds, how about ham and eggs? The pig thinks for a moment and says, no thanks. For I would be committed to it, but you would only be involved. For being involved means that you can do what you want as you want when you feel like doing it or not. Commitment to Jesus means that we are at the call of him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. Total commitment, though, is what Jesus is looking for in all of our lives. And he wants us to have the desire to serve him, not just on Sunday mornings in church, but each and every day that we draw a breath. Jesus tells us that we must deny ourselves to follow him. Seems strange to us, but it is giving up what we want that we really find true purpose in our life. It is in, it is in denying what we want so we can find out what God wants for us. Third, we get to see the importance of radical commitment. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeits their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, some who are standing, some who are sitting here this morning will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into His kingdom. For having a radical commitment means that we will always put our complete trust in Jesus. The whole power of salvation rests on what Jesus has done for us and not anything that we have done. For Isaiah 64 says, All our righteousness acts are that like a filthy rags. So if you've answered yes this morning to the question, is your commitment to Jesus worthy of being called radical? And if we're committed to the kingdom of God, what are we doing to build up the kingdom of God? What are we doing to show the love that Jesus has shown to us? 